We want to encourage you now to turn in the Word of God as we uh, look into our Bibles to Romans chapter 13. We come to chapter 13. We have been going through the book of Romans for a number of months, ever since probably the beginning of last year. And we come to Romans chapter 13 in how we relate to the government and our responsibility towards the government. After 11 chapters of doctrine, chapters 1 through 11, he comes to the first exhortation, the first command in chapter 12, verse 1, that we are to give our lives as living sacrifices, that we are not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And then he goes into a number of things about how we are to relate and understand ourselves and how we are to see other people as important in the church, that we all have gifts. And then the character of a person who is a godly Christian, various characteristics we have been talking about in verses 9 through 21 in chapter 12. And now we come to chapter 13 on our responsibility to the government or to those in authority. We begin reading verses 1 through 7. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Let's bow in a word of prayer before we begin our study this morning. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would illumine our minds, grant to us understanding, and open our eyes that we might see great and mighty things from thy law. In your precious Son's name we pray. Amen. Those of you who keep up with the news know that it's some... Somewhat, about 18 months before our presidential elections in 2008. But already last year, and already especially the beginning of this year, the candidates for office are already starting to line up. And these candidates, whether they be on the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, have started to garner their constituents. They've begun to raise their campaign contributions. They begin to politic on MySpace.com. They've been holding debates between each other or whatnot. And there's no escaping. You turn on the evening news, politics are at the front page of what everyone is talking about these days, aside from Iraq and Afghanistan. 
politics are a part and parcel. They seem to be front and center in our news, and they seem to be front and center in many countries, whether it's the Philippines or India. They seem to have these posters that are huge in those countries with the, the, the political individuals, their faces, larger-than-life posters of themselves, trying to ex- give them as much exposure as they possibly can for re-election. Well, wherever you are, whether you're in Washington, D.C., or in North Korea, or whether you're in the tribes of Papua New Guinea, every nation, every people group, every tribe or society has some sort of governing structure. And it's very likely that that governing structure will not be a Christian government. In fact, most of them aren't. They're not God-fearing or whatnot, and they may even have policies that are antagonistic towards believers. In our culture, some Christians and some churches here in the United States have looked at this and they have been fed up with uh, the government and they have become very politically active as political activists and they want to promote a culture of recapturing the culture or a philosophy of recapturing the culture that we have from immorality, from abortion or poverty or social issues or taxation or education or everything else, whatever might suit their fancy and that church will focus and, and have a, a very political in, in, you know, a, a platform by which they are doing what they're doing. And I'm not saying that these issues aren't important at all, nor am I saying that we should be indifferent towards many of these issues. God has used Christians throughout history to evoke change in our society for the good. One of the major movies out recently, Amazing Grace, portrayed William Wilberforce, who was a major player in the abolition of slavery. And his role there. Others have have, uh, had great places that God has used politically. People who have fought against discrimination in our country or fought against other social causes or whatnot. And God has a place for those individuals. Even biblically, he has a place for those individuals like Joseph, whom he brought to power to be second in command to Pharaoh. Such that Joseph might, what, save that area of the world from famine. Or perhaps Daniel, who served under a number of world powers, under Babylon, under Persia, in very influential ways. Or Nehemiah, the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, who was what? Who was the cupbearer? And he led the people back from exile to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So God has a place for people. God has a place and He raises up individuals, sometimes for the salvation of a nation like He did with Esther. For the good of a particular people or a particular time. But I am saying that though, that when a church has as its primary focus that of becoming politically active, such that they, they've lost sight of their primary purpose, which is to bring glory to God through the edification of believers and the evangelization of those who are lost, and perhaps their focus and their direction, their purpose has been lost. So the subject here, though, that Paul brings out and answers the question of how are we to relate to our governing authorities? What is to be our role when it comes in terms of our relationship with the government? The government passes policies that we disagree with when they decide that they're going to fund things that we perhaps are morally opposed to. How do we respond when they ask us to do things, when they require us to do things that may 
jeopardize our freedoms, our personal freedoms, or whatever it may be. There are various laws in countries that have difficulties. Up in Canada, you know, there are certain laws for, for teaching against alternative lifestyles. So how do we respond to those? And here Paul describes various relationships that we have. And there's an outline in your bulletin that speaks of the three relationships we have with the government. The three purposes of the government and the obligations we have as citizens. The three relationships we have with the government, the government and us and God and the government and us and the Lord. How are we to relate to the government or those in authority above us? The Bible is clear that, first of all, we are to submit to the governing authorities. The Bible says in verse 1, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. That word to submit or be in subjection was used of a soldier who was underneath a higher ranking officer. And if you're in the military and your ranking officer commands you to do something, then you're to obey. Without exception, every person is instructed here to submit themselves to the government. And Christians are to be model citizens in a society or model citizens in a particular culture. We are to follow the law. These rules are laid down by the governing authorities above us and we are to follow them, whether they are zoning laws, whether they're traffic laws or city ordinances or federal laws or criminal laws or corporate laws. If we're working, we're to be in obedience to the governing authorities above us. We're not to be people who are rebellious or obstinate or rude, but to be citizens, good standing citizens that even non-Christians would look at and recognize that they are people that they are admired as people who submit underneath the governing authorities. Historically, Christians have struggled with many things that the governing authorities have said that have perhaps been very disagreeable and they've decided to take matters into their own hands, sometimes at the, at the sake of obedience to God. Even when we look at this passage and we think about our country's history, we think about our freedoms that we enjoy here. But many, hundreds of years ago, believed that the killing of Englishmen during the American Revolution was fully justifiable under the banner of religious freedom. And so the nation was born out of really a violation of this principle. Although God has used, even in spite of the violation of the principle, to bless this nation in various ways, the Scriptures are clear. We're to be in subjection to those governing authorities above us. The Bible gives us one exception, however, to this command of being subject to the governing authorities and that one exception would be when the governing authorities ask us to do things that are against the law of God that are against the law of God there are many examples of that in the scriptures that they give us when the apostle Peter preached the word of God and he was asked by the governing authorities above him, the Sanhedrin, that he should not speak of the name of Christ anymore. He said in Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men. Or when the Jewish midwives were told that they needed to make sure that those Israelite babies are killed. They didn't obey Pharaoh. Or when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego 
were told by King Nebuchadnezzar to bow down to the idol or the statue, they said no. They said, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. When we're asked to do something by our government or by the governing authorities that violate the clear teaching of the word of God, we are to be people who will obey God rather than them. But in our country, because of the separation of church and state, because we have religious freedoms, we enjoy, enjoy many times the liberties that we have without having to face some of these things. But the general principle is that we are to submit ourselves to the governing authorities of the laws of the land and not skimp out on the ordinances, not decide, well, you know what, this regulation that I'm doing this remodel on my home, I know it's going to be a lot of trouble because it will put me back a number of days and that inspector has to come, but you know what, I can fudge on this. The city has rules and the city has ordinances and... There are laws that are governing our country for our good. That is the second thing here. When God says we are to submit, it is because God has established all governments. God has established all governments. For there is no authority, verse 1b says, there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. All authority has been established by God. No government in this entire world throughout human history has ever come into existence or power except by the hand and purposes of God, that God has allowed those governments to come into power. Even oppressive governments have come into existence because God has permitted them to come into existence, whether it be Joseph Stalin or Adolf Hitler or Saddam Hussein. They've been allowed to come into power by the hand of God, just as the Egyptians were or the Assyrians who were a very ruthless people. Or Rome. In the same way, in some for, for way we don't know, God has allowed them to come into power for a particular purpose. Do you remember Habakkuk, the Old Testament prophet? Habakkuk cried out to God saying, You know, Israel here, Israel has walked away from you. God, what are you going to do? They've committed apostasy. They're, they're committing immorality. And God, aren't you going to take care of them? And God said to Habakkuk, he said, what? He said, I will take care of them. I'm going to send the Babylonians to take care of them. And Habakkuk said, I don't understand God. The, the, the Babylonians are such, so much more wicked than these people. How could you use a more wicked nation to judge your own people? God said, I have an answer to that too. He said, I will take care of Babylon and they will receive their judgment in their time. But for some reason, God allowed the Babylonians to come into existence for that purpose for some purpose which we don't know, and sometimes for our good. The oppressive countries of the Soviet Union, for example, or for China. Fascinating when you look at the church, the Christian church in those nations, because in the Christian church in those nations, they've flourished. They've flourished, and underneath governments which oppress Christians, it is actually a purifying effect to the church. Because who will join a church if they know they have to give their life to have salvation, well, 
They are much more flourishing and serious about their faith than Western Europe or even Japan, who enjoys freedom of religion to many extents. One of the objections to this entire idea of God allowing powers to come into existence would be, well, what about truly wicked powers like Adolf Hitler or those rulers in Sudan who are committing genocide? Well, what about those people like the Syrians who would just ruthlessly crush people, torture them as they came through areas? Was that by God's establishment as well? You see, the backdrop of this whole writing when Paul says, you know what, every power has come into existence by God's hand and we're to submit, etc., etc. The backdrop and the, and the history here is that he's writing during the time of Rome's power. During the time of the Lord Jesus, remember they had a, 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 a maniacal ruler in Herod who committed infanticide and killed all the children two years and younger. There was plenty of political corruption going on. The, 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 the people, the, the government was immoral. They, they had all sorts of oppression on the people. The Jews were seen as an oppressed minority. Slavery, those who were slaves outnumbered the free men approximately three to one. The taxes were absorbent. There was a requirement to worship Caesar. The, the taxes went to a pagan deity many times. And Plumwood could maintain that, you know what, this is a corrupt society and that's the backdrop of this. Even though the Jews, though, they, they had a certain amount of religious freedom. They could still keep their temple and have their offerings and their, they, they, could, they could execute any Gentile that went into the inner court. They were able to keep their dietary laws and their ceremonial laws or whatever they had as practices. And so these Christians kind of, when they came... To know Christ, they would follow along some of the freedoms that they did enjoy. But this was the backdrop there. Not all Jews acquiesced to Rome's, Rome's rule, as there were the zealots of the Jews who refused to pay taxes, who were murderers and terrorists who would go up behind a, a Roman soldier or whatnot, stab him in the back and then fade into the crowd. These Christians had to recognize that even Rome, immorality and idolatry was allowed to exist just like other nations who were more wicked. Just like nations that we see that are wicked today. They're established by God or allowed to come into existence by the hand of God. And so God says, you know, because what? They're they're allowed to come into existence. Their establishment is by God's permission. God says, thirdly, we're to see the governing authority in that respect because resisting the governing authority is the same as opposing God. Verse 2, therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God and those who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. To resist the governing authority which God has instituted is to resist God Himself. Again, with the caveat that they're not asking that we disobey God or to violate the principles of God's word. And granted, we read in history of terrible rulers, even today, atrocities against humanity, genocide or whatever it might be. But even having a government is better than anarchy 
where there is no rule of law, where everyone runs rampant in the streets, where there is looting, where there is violence, where the strong survive, where you live in your home with a shotgun next to your bed because of somebody who might break in. Having a a government in place or some sort of order is much better than anarchy, where everyone lives for themselves. And the Bible reminds us that God, even in those cases with the rulers that are wicked, individuals in Proverbs 21.1, I think of this often, which says that the king's heart is like channels of water. In the hand of the Lord, he turns it wherever he wishes. And that means for our president, that means for a wicked ruler, that means for anyone, they are still under the powerful influence of God, if God should so change and move them in a particular direction. Again, we are to submit ourselves to these authorities, with the only exception that these authorities, when they ask us to do that which is against the Word of God. In our country, we're blessed to have a process of appeals. We're blessed to have a process of appeals. By which when something comes up and we disagree with someone above us, whether it be our boss or whether it be the government, we have a way to appeal, to have that, have that change or reconsidered or whatever it is. But even if we didn't, we're still to submit to the governing authorities because they've been instituted by God and to resist them is to resist God and God's establishment. Then we see here that there are three purposes of the government, three purposes of the government. One, to restrain evil. Two, for the overall good. And three, to punish evil. For it says in verse three, for rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. The purpose of the government here in this passage is threefold. One, to restrain evil. Even totalitarian governments restrain evil. Evil is restrained by a stricter punishment. Again, it's much better than anarchy, where people will pillage and rape and murder, loot and complete chaos reigns. But governments have been called for the overall good, as well as the text says there. They've been called for the overall good, providing some sort of social social structure, some sort of provision for the people, be it that it might be menial, but there's some sort of provision there. That one could do as a government that individuals would not be able to do themselves. They've treated law-abiding citizens in a good way, generally speaking. And they promote good. And when we do good, when we submit to the governing authorities, there's no fear. That word fear is from which we would get the word phobia from. There's no fear in our heart that something will happen if we do what is right. Thirdly, the third purpose is that it punishes evil. The little phrase there, to bear the sword, is a reference to the government's right to bring judgment upon those that it rules or oversees. The sword was used to kill and to maim. There was the right there. There is the right there to punish those who break the law. Even though we ourselves, you know, we ourselves have been personally called to not retaliate for personal offenses when God says to turn the other cheek. Or if someone comes and takes your shirt, you offer him your cloak as well. Or if some Roman comes by and asks you to carry his package one mile, be willing to go two without complaint. Personal offenses were to look the other way. But the government has the right to judge and to have punishment for evil. 
Even we see in the New Testament and the laws that were given to the people of Israel, there were laws for capital punishment. For capital punishment. Even Paul recognized this. When Paul stood before Festus in the book of Acts 25.11, he says, if I, if I am an offender or I've done anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. But what about other forms of punishment that we see that the government has? I mean, one of the questions that naturally comes up is, what about imprisonment? What about imprisonment, putting people in prison? It's fascinating to note that in Israel, when we look at the biblical text and we look at the nation of Israel, it was the nations around them that practiced imprisonment. But ancient Israel rarely used imprisonment. The, those that broke the law in the nation of Israel were either executed very shortly after their crime or they were made to work to pay back that which they have defrauded someone else from. But long-term incarceration as we see it today in our culture well, just wasn't an option back then. In fact, in the 17th or 18th century or so, 1700s or the 1800s, I should say, the U.S. had imported the idea of incarceration from Europe. It was the Quakers who first introduced the idea that if you imprison someone, they might become penitent or remorseful or sorrowful for their crime. That's where we get the word penitentiary from. Penitentiaries and prisons haven't been very effective in our particular society. Reforming and deterring crime hasn't really worked as effectively as they had hoped, I think. We have the highest per capita of inmates in the Western world here in the United States. But societies that seem to have strict laws seem to be better at deterring crime. Fines, heavy fines or penalties seem to deter others. And the government has every right to do that, to, 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 to dissuade people through punishment. I received an email from Andy this morning and I had asked, asked him about the crime laws there. As you know, so Singapore has some very strict crime laws. When you're landing in the airport in, uh, in Singapore, you know, they tell you this announcement. You know, if you're carrying drugs, there's, a, there's an automatic death penalty for you. And you're considered guilty before, unless you're proven innocent. It's the other way around. They have all sorts of laws. You, you spit on the ground, you can be fined. You don't clean up the place in front of your business, you can be fined. You, you, you stick bubble gum underneath the table or whatever. You know, there's fines for all sorts of things. The prohibitions, you know. No durian on the subway. There's all sorts of things. And they have very strict laws. And Andy was telling me, well, it seems to work very well here because they don't have hardcore drugs here. They just have some of the softcore ones, which he's heard about at clubs or whatever, as he's serving in Singapore. But the government has every right to penalize those or to bring judgment. It carries the sword and the right to punish people who break the law. Lastly, there are two obligations that us as citizens have. We have two obligations. One is a financial obligation and an attitudinal obligation. Financial obligation is to pay taxes and customs. For it says, therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. But because of this, you also pay taxes for rulers or servants of God devoting themselves to this very thing. We're called to pay our taxes. To be people of good conscience, we pay our taxes because that's how the government functions. 
And that's how they're able to manage because of the funds that they receive. So whatever it might be, even though we see that maybe sometimes the government pork barrels everything into bills or they have the squandering of various funds, we read about it in the news, or maybe they fund causes that we might not agree with, or maybe they they find that some of the funds are even used to the detriment of other people. Yet we're called to pay taxes. Paul writes during a time in Rome when even Rome's immorality was funded and their idolatry was funded by some of the taxes that we would be that would be paid. And taxes in biblical times were often exorbitant. Not only would the tax collectors collect the amount that you owed Rome, but they would collect an amount that was above that so that you or they could pocket your extra money. And taxes here is a word that refers to all kinds of taxes. Levies, property tax, sales tax, federal income tax, your car tab tax, or your utility tax, or whatever it might be. The taxes that you are to owe, capital gains or whatever, were to pay. We're to pay and to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and to give unto God what is God's. We're not, no, not only are we to give these financial obligations, but we're to give the attitudinal obligations as well. To give honor and respect here, it says in the text. To give honor and respect to those who are serving above us. One person I had met a few years ago, he's a, he's a, a Christian, a Christian brother. And he works, for the, he works for the IRS. In fact, he's an auditor, a corporate auditor. Imagine a corporate auditor coming into your company. Well, I'm sure that you're not going to feel, and many people probably don't feel very warm towards a corporate auditor. In fact, he tells me, he told me some stories. You know, he comes in, and you know, they're not happy to see him. They know what their, his job is. He's there to audit their books. So one time they, they stuck him into this little closet that was dark and damp and dripping with water. We're to treat people, though, kindly who, 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 who serve in the government above us without an attitude that is sour. Pastor Ray Stedman writes about his own attitude when he first began paying taxes. He said, quote, Don't forever be grumbling about the taxes that you have to pay. I've had to learn some lessons on this myself. The first time I had to pay an income tax was a few years ago. My income had been so low for a long time, I didn't have to pay any taxes. But gradually it caught up and I finally had to pay tax. And I remember how I resented it. In fact, when I first sent my tax form in, I addressed it to the Infernal Revenue Service. They never answered, but they did accept the money. The next year I had improved my attitude a bit. I addressed it to the Eternal Revenue Service. But I have repented from all of those sins and hope now to pay my taxes cheerfully. I'll tell you, it's difficult sometimes when you see they take such a large chunk or whatever it might be and hard to pay taxes and you're trying to find ways in which you cannot pay taxes or whatever it might be. But our attitude is that we, we are obligated to the people that God has established over us to pay our taxes, to pay them their due, to pay them honor and respect. And this not only goes for taxes, but it goes for those in authority above us whether it be the local policeman or the local uh, judge or the local magistrate or the city officials or whoever they may be, we, we treat them with honor. Because if we go about and, and badmouth that cop that pulled us over or whatever and our children, if they don't learn how to respect authority from us when we display a bad attitude towards them, how will they learn to respect authority from God? 
Christians are to submit to their governing authorities. We're to be model citizens, people who submit to the Lord just as we submit to others that God has placed above us. Because God has established all of these authorities and God has called us to pray for them. Because they're there for good, for the good of us. And they have the right to punish or the right to penalize or whatever it might be. And we're to give unto them what is due to them. The honor or the respect or the taxes or the payments or whatever it might be that the world might see. These Christians are people who are law-abiding. Who follow the word of God as well as follow our government that is here. And may we win them. May we win them with our behavior to Christ, that they might see that there is something different about us than the rest of the world. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we pray, Father, that we might be people who will submit, who will submit to those who are in authority above us, whether it be the government, whether it be our boss at work, whether it be those that are our teachers, our principals. Father, you have established them there for a purpose. And we pray, Father, that by our attitude, by our behavior, by our conduct, and by the things that we do, Father, we might be people who will shine. And people who will draw others to you. Because of our submission. And may we give to them the tax to whom tax is due, the honor to whom honor is due, for your name's sake and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.